I want to say something really quick before we get into the uh, content of this space in the worship program. Maggie Keller has given months upon months upon months to creating our website, giving it the, um, the facial uplift that it required, putting all the different things in place. It's not like a simple, let's try a new template type thing. It was a piece by piece construction. And so can we just pause real quick and just acknowledge that with a, a real hearty Minnesotan round of applause. We love you, Maggie. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. You have been bringing, uh, it's crazy, it was like, I don't know if it was immediately prior to Christmas or immediately in the aftermath, we were like, guys, website, can we go, can we go, can we go? And I'm like, I just want a nap right now. You've had no hiccups in your energy from 23 to 24, and that's amazing because I definitely have. I have felt like the gray skies of winter are starting to get to me a little bit. I think actually, you know what made me really mad, Becky, was on January 1st at 12.04 in the a.m., that's an exaggeration, maybe like 10.42 in the a.m. though, of January 1st, I caught an email with the first line reading, hey, can we circle back to that thing we talked about in December now that we're in the new year? I just don't have, the, I'm not ready to do that yet. I think all I wrote back in all caps was stop living in the past. Like, let's participate in the present right now together. We can do this thing in a different way than we're doing it right now. And so if you're with me, we're kind of all trying to recalibrate, get back in the swing of things, trying to remember what is our actual, like, functions of the jobs that we've been tasked with doing, right? We're all in that same page? Correct. Okay. Close enough. Before we get into the text, as many of you know, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. We will continue to do so from front to back for the totality of 2024 until we get to the end, which hopefully will be before 25. I'm assuming it will, but we don't know for sure. And right now we're in chapter 4. Right now we are going to enter into this space. Uh, we're going to dive into the first parable, the first story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Mark. But before we do that... One of the things we say every time you step into this space, we want to make sure you walk out with an awareness of this, that regardless of whether or not you hear anything that's helpful for your own particular story in this particular season, at least hear this, who you are is more important than what you do. As you recalibrate your life and get back into the Monday through Friday swing of things and try to figure out what the new normal looks like in 2024, who you are is more important than what you do, even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. It's essential for all of us that we look one another in the eyes and we remind each other that we are all carriers of the image of God. It's so the moment we get caught up in performance and productivity, we lose sight of that immediately. Now, with that said, we're going to go to Mark 4. Um, it's been a minute since we were in Mark, so let me just try to kind of set the context from where we're at before we get to Jesus and his parable. One through three had a lot of different things. Jesus, we saw him in synagogues, spreading a good word from the pulpit. We saw him on the streets, healing people left and right, going town to town and fixing crooked legs, opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears. He's doing all these miraculous works again and again. At the same time, though, he's being met with resistance. The religious leaders of this time who had the hottest show in town, they made no new space for the new act that just came through. They kept saying no to Jesus. Out of their own conviction, after taking into consideration Jesus' own words that they heard from the pulpit at the synagogue and his own words that they heard him speak after he healed on the streets, this man surely has lost God. 
There's no way this doesn't line up with the tradition. This doesn't line up with our religious understanding. The paradigm does not affirm that this is actually the ways of God. He has lost God. At the same time, too, as we said in Mark 3 weeks and weeks ago, Jesus' own family shows up with creased brows going, we might not go as far as to say that he lost God, but we do think he's lost his mind. <laughs> like, this boy is different. He's not conforming to the patterns of our world. We're afraid he might even be deranged. We're not really sure what's going on. Should we intervene? Do we take? It's a wellness check, essentially, in first century Palestine, trying to say, what is going on with our God that we raised? And all of a sudden, at the age of 30, he went wild into the woods, met up with his cousin, and here is on the street saying all kinds of things that we had never heard him speak before. So Jesus is fresh into his ministry. And he's giving, going out there and he's drawing these massive crowds, tons of attention, tons of controversy, tons of, tons of excitement, but also tons of resistance. And so time and time again, we see Jesus going, well, if that's going to be the case, I'm going to need to go into the city, heal those legs, but then go back to the lake and catch my breath. I'm going to go in. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to go after what I need to go after. But I also need to recharge, recharge my batteries. I also need to go, like, I'm gonna, I actually might lose my mind unless I get away from the chaos of these crowds. He goes to this place that we now know as the Cove of the Sower, where he intends to catch some R&R, &R, but when he arrives, there's a crowd that is already waiting for him to speak, itching for a fresh new word that might come out of him next. And so up until this point, and I do think it's worth saying that we won't say every time Jesus offers up a new parable in the Gospel of Mark. Up until this point, when he's trying to bring people in on the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of what it looks like for God's reign to take over our individual lives and our collective life together, he's used primarily like street theater. He's used sermons, teachings, lectures. He said, this is what it is, this is what it is. But because of the series of events that preceded the scene before us tonight, he's caught a lot of resistance. And so this is like the new approach going, it's not better, it's not worse. I'm going to employ a new tactic so that the good news can still be captured by somebody at hand. It's a Trojan horse of sorts. If the ears at hand prior to this scene were not capable, that did not have the capacity to actually receive what he was saying prior to, let's go a different route. Let me tell you all a story. And so he gets on the prow of this boat that uh, our assumption is like, you know, the crowd is at hand. There's been people out there, I'm not doing it right now, but they've gone to the cove of the sower and they've shown how acoustically, if somebody were to actually go a little bit into the water and raise a voice, not even like extremely, but just a little bit above normal, you could be heard from a long ways away. The infrastructure of the land allowed that to happen. So he goes into this boat while the crowd with the itching ears is sitting there watching him going like, can you say something? And he starts to talk. I'm assuming there's, you know, somebody else in the boat that's kind of anchoring him down so he's not like, you know, there once was a man, a sower. He's not just doing the circle like we all have done before. He's actually got somebody else kind of keeping him steady and still. And he looks out on this crowd and he offers up the very first parable, which is found in all three synoptic gospels. Um, and I'm going to read it for you right now. Please have the appetite to hear a lot of scripture because it's a little bit longer than we typically digest together. Reads like this. This is the message version. Listen from the prow of the boat. What do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seeds, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. 
Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly but didn't put down roots, so when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled among the weeds and nothing came of it. Some fell on good earth and came up with a flourish, producing a harvest exceeding his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening to this? Now Jesus, after that story was told, he goes off with his closest of kin, and along with the 12, they started to ask about the stories, and he said, you have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how this whole thing is about to go down. But to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them towards a welcome awakening. These are people whose eyes are open but don't see a thing, whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about face and getting forgiven. He continued, you guys see how this story works, right? All of my stories work this way. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls in the hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word that Satan snatches away what is implanted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first catch the word, they respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with the worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress of life, the daily demands, the duties, everything that comes attached to that, it strangles what they had heard, and so nothing comes of the seed. But there is the seed that is planted in the good earth. There is the seed that is planted that represents those who hear the word of God, of love, of life, of liberation. They start to embrace it regardless of the cost that might come upon them. And they produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. One of my biggest pet peeves, I think I had, um, I had this doctor, I'm going to butcher his name, so let's just go with Johnson. I can't remember his name. One of my seminary professors really drilled in us and he said, like, what do you, at one, he set us up. He's a trap. He goes, what do you think this, this uh, parable might mean? Different parable, but same kind of question. And I think a lot of people said, well, we think this is what it means. He said this. It means that. Context is this. Must mean that. And he goes, you're wrong. Stop saying what it means. That's not how parables work. You can't extract one clear meaning. You might say it's this, and you might say it's that. You may say it's about the soil. You may say it's about the seeds. You may say it's about the different kind of fields that each of our lives are. You might think it's just about the different kind of fields that live in each of our hearts. Is it any of those above the other ones? Maybe, 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 not the point. Parables in Jewish tradition were held up like allegories are held up. You hold them up like refracting diamonds. You hold them up to the light and you go, what is here that I should see that will speak into my life right now? When I twist that diamond that rests in the palm of my hand in the frame of a light behind it, what is the thing that catches me that I didn't catch before? The dangerous part of saying this is what this parable means <laughs> on any particular parable is you close yourself off to what else that parable might mean. The crowd at hand, the ones on the beach that weren't like aware of all that Jesus was saying from the boat. They didn't catch this inner insight on the follow-up conversations. They're, they're tasked with walking away with the cryptic story. What does any of this mean? Here's a diamond. How do you want to hold it? 
what do you see? I will tell you that of all the biblical texts that I grew up with, this is one of the texts that left me shook the most often. Because I remember sitting on the left side of our congregation in our Baptist church growing up, where our pastor on the pulpit said, well, there's just different kinds of folk out there. There's good, there's bad, there's problematic, there's pure. There's fertile grounds, there's rocky soil. There's concrete walkways, there are weeds. Different kind of folks. Now, as a young boy, as I digested that story again and again with that interpretation in my mind, I thought, well, I've gotten in trouble most of my life. <laughs> I mean, I I've gotten in trouble most of my life. It was a running joke. Like, when people would come over to my parents' house, they would see me sitting up in my, my room next to the window, just wondering what it would be like to be free out there. <laughs> like, that was just a thing. And honestly, even when I got into high school, and I, the trouble just escalated and it got more clear-cut, like, maybe you, <laughs> maybe you are a walkway. You know, like, maybe this is what it is. And part of the problem, too, was, like, when I heard that story, it wasn't just that I'm, I'm hoping to be weeds, but I probably am walkway. I was very aware that my older brother, Aaron, he's 39 years old. He has yet to commit a sin in the totality of his life. He is definitely fertile, good soil. My other brother, Jordan, he has definitely sinned. He's a hot mess of a man. And yet the fruits <laughs> continue to come forward. He has a lot of beautiful things happening forward. So I'm a little bit envious, which is why I'm going to disparage him right now. My point being is this. I was left with two other options. Am I a weeds, weeds guy or my walkway? But either way, the odds are kind of against you. There's only one really pure field here. And so I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit, but here's the sincerity. When I was growing up in high school, every time this text would come up, when I would hear about it, and even if it was offhand, I would remind myself, okay, Matt, you have gotten in trouble for, for a lot of uh, uh, drugs and drinking and stealing money, and you've gotten in trouble a lot of different ways. You've been creative in all the different ways. At what point will you just turn around and go, walkway? Concrete. Jesus is saying in this place, like people like you, Matt, even if he throws seeds your way, even if it does fall over your life, like it has fallen over my life, please let go of the hope that it will ever break the hardened surface of you to get to something substantial. Because that's not in the cards. For a long time, I honestly think even me getting into my undergrad with biblical and theological studies and me being pushed to seminary was partly to prove, like, it's not all bad here. There's got to be some good if, I'm, if I till the land enough. If I get rid of the birds that are taking up the seed, if I clear the weeds from the ground, if I do something on my own accord, there's got to be a means I can correct what went wrong. I can be good still. It all changed for me, though. When I heard about the news at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston in 2015, when on June 17th, 12 individuals gathered in the basement of this church on a Wednesday night, and they studied the parable of the sower. They read about the seeds that were falling on all kinds of soils. And in the midst of their study, a young white boy from who knows where walks into this space with the bowl cut, and they welcome him warmly. They see him, they don't say, we already started too late, come again tomorrow, we'll try them. Instead, they grab an extra Bible, 
seeds. All these patches of fertile ground, these fertile soil, they turn into the sowers. Let me grab you a Bible, seeds. Let me print you off a study guide, seeds. Let me pull up that chair. Do you need a water? Do you want some of our crappy coffee? Seeds, seeds, and seeds. Now we know how it shook out. That despite all the seeds that fell on the concrete act that was Dylan Roof's moment in that space, they bounced off the hardened ground and ended up as bullets that took none of the lives in the room. And yet in the aftermath, the ones who sowed those seeds on the walkway boy that walked in, they didn't cease from sowing again. Two days later, later, when Dylan Roof was standing before the judge and the judge read out the victims' names, one of the daughters of a mom who was killed in that space uh, was invited to come and share anything. Judge said, if any of the families that, that experienced this devastating loss, this tragic moment firsthand, if you have anything you want to say, floor is yours. We'll make space. I will listen to you. Everyone will listen to you. Dylan Roof will listen to you. And this girl who had no intention of speaking on that day, she steps up to the witness stand. She says this. Patty, can you put that quote up? I just want everybody to know, to you, you being Dylan Roof, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. Imagine the weight of those words if you're this, this woman. You hurt me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you, and I forgive you. If you were part of our community at that time, you remember we brought in Reverend D Dwayne Davis, and we started to talk about that, what that was actually all about. And I remember standing with Reverend Davis afterwards, and he brought to mind that, you know, have you ever considered the fact that they were sitting in that basement reading the parable of the sower? Have you ever considered that that woman on the stand in that space right there was doing what the sower once did? Everything changed for me in that space. Everything changed for me in that moment. My whole understanding of God changed for me in that moment in a beautiful, expanded kind of way. Because what I understood was for thousands of years, we have never, not once called this the parable of the soil. We've never called it the parable of the seeds. It has always been about the parable of the sower. The one who is a terrible farmer but an incredible father. The one who recklessly flings and broadcasts these seeds to and fro, knowing that they might never actually break the hardened surface, but I will keep sending them out. I will keep putting them out there. I won't stop. I'll keep reaching my hand into my seed bag by my side because every life has value. Every life is worth being poured into, and so is yours. I promise you I'm certain to understand that mine is too. The beautiful parable that Jesus unveils for us here is the same thing Jesus does when the prodigal son comes home and the dad doesn't welcome him with a stale bread but a fatted calf. Dad doesn't slap his wrist but puts a ring on his finger. It's the good shepherd that goes out when one sheep goes a wandering. This is who God is. This is the heart of God that Jesus is putting on full display from the prow of a boat saying, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, you are loved. You are enough. And regardless of your reaction, 
be it allergic response to good news, be it hardened cynicism, be it cold apathy, whatever it might be. As you start a new year, and before you get caught up in any kind of, you know, ideations and these, the, our wheels start spinning on like who we might be, new year, new me, remember this, there is a sower constantly seeding you. There is a sower who is constantly and consistently finding you worthy of being sown into, regardless of how you see yourself. I'm resting in that truth. I want to close with this poem um, that I caught this week that is so beautiful. And it just talks about the, the um, patient, consistent, and constant love of the good sower in our lives. It's from Sister uh, Margaret Halaska. It's called The Covenant. And I would invite you, if you want to just meditate in this moment, close your eyes, hold out your hands, do whatever you need to do, get in posture to actually hear this so it's not just something we let the moment go by. I want you to hear these words. The father knocks on my door, seeking a home for his son. Rent is cheap, I say. Well, I don't really want to rent. I want to buy, says God. Well, I'm not sure I want to sell. But you might come in to look around. Yeah, I think I will, says God. I might let you have a room or two. I like it, says God. I'll take the two. You might decide to give me more someday. I can wait, says God. Well, I'd like to give you more, but it's a bit difficult. I need some space for me. I know, says God, says God, but I'll wait. Because, again, I like what I see. Mm. Maybe I can let you have another room. I guess I really don't need that much. Thanks, says God. I'll take it. I like what I see. I'd like to give you the whole house, but I'm not sure. Well, just think on it, says God. I wouldn't want to put you out. Your house would be mine and my son would live in it. You'd have more space than you'd ever had before. I don't understand at all. I know, says God. But I can't tell you about that. You'll have to discover it for yourself. That can only happen if you let him have the whole house. That sounds a bit risky, I say. Yes, says God. But try me. I'm not sure, but I'll let you know, I can wait, says God, because regardless of the kind of soul you might see yourself as, I really like what I see. Christ, you are the good sower. We are a hot mess of different kinds of soil. Sometimes we're fertile, sometimes we're rocky, sometimes there are weeds, sometimes the birds take us all out. But you are still good. You are constantly sowing. Your bag of seeds is endless. You are the prodigal God that loves us through it all. And if we could rest in that reality, all kinds of things open up. Jesus says you're beyond your wildest dreams. I believe that to be true. If we get past all of our inner demons, our insecurities, our anxieties around whether or not we're enough, the good sower sows enough seeds to make it clear that we are. Help us to embrace that truth so that new fruit can grow forward so that the harvest can be bountiful and we can enjoy what we have to eat. In Christ's name, all God's children, we say together, amen. I love that message that it's about the sower, the goodness of God. It was reminding me of a song that's been on my heart a lot. 
um, since the service we did a few weeks ago, the goodness of God, and that that goodness of God is always running after me. Part of the chorus is, the goodness of God is running after me. And when Matt was talking about the sower and spreading the seeds here and there, it's not so much about where the sower's spreading the seeds, it's, it's about the sower themselves, about the sower being a sower of love and goodness and never giving up. And I think that's a beautiful message. I think that is the good news that we all need to hear. Because I don't, no matter what our stories are, um, Matt, I know your story and I love your story, but we all have that somewhere deep inside of us that we aren't good enough. We didn't do it right. We're not, we've made a mistake. We've sinned. We've done this. We've done that. But the hope is in the goodness of the sower and in that beautiful message. And, and that sower is the sower that we remember every single Sunday when we break bread together. In this moment where we share in the bread and the cup what we call communion. During the music, we'll invite you up. You can take the bread and you can dip it into the cup. Um, and that night before the sower was crucified, he sat at a table with his disciples and he took bread. And he broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this bread, remember me. And he took the cup, and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood, and it's shed for you. The new covenant, when you drink from this cup, remember me. So in this moment, when we pause and we come forward and we dip the bread into the cup, we remember that kind of love, that kind of goodness, that sower that it continues to spread seeds. That sower whose goodness continues to run after each and every one of us. So if you can, please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, let's wrap up our space together. Uh, but as you go from this Sunday into your Monday, yeah, I guess I guess I want us all to just kind of consistently reroute ourselves in in the love of God. That's that's a big thing for me, and so pardon the projection, but I'm thinking about that a lot more this year. And obviously, being a part of the church life that we are in together, that's always somewhere in there, be it foreground or background. But for me, I need to make that more foreground than I have in the past. And if that resonates with you, I would encourage you to take that seriously. As a part of that, would you do me a favor so we can walk out of this room how we always walk out of rooms? Would you close your eyes, hold out your hands so you can hear the words from the heart of the good sower? Friends, no matter who you are, what you've done, who you love, or what you've lost, where you've gone, or the places that you have stayed, Please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you as is right now are beloved, good soil, 
good child of God and beloved you belong. Go in peace. We will see you this next Sunday. Love you guys. Thank you. You're awesome.